0: evening. Um, I know you all have visited other churches before, and it's just a really cool thought to to be able to worship with people you really don't know. Now, some of you I do know. Some of you I've met in in other places. Some of you, uh, um, well, I went to college with you, and so that's great. And but for the most part, when we go to other places, what a blessing it is. And it just speaks to the wisdom of God that he has set up the church where you can go across nations, you can go across states, you can go to all of these different places and immediately have a bond with one another because of that. Um, I'm also thankful for the attention you all have given my wife. I know she would uh, very much like to be here um, Due to her being sick and due to my one-year-old being sick as well, uh, that unfortunately is not able to happen. I'm thankful to the attention you've given uh, my kids. Uh, Earlier, when when you said their names, Charlie looks back at me and is like, whoa. (laughs) As if she's gotten some huge shout out. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, But no, it's been such a, a wonderful time here. Uh, so far, I want to give a, a special thank you to Bob and Cherry for for uh, having us. Uh, it's been wonderful. My son is calmly sleeping in Cherry's arms, and that's a great thing. Um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter two if you're not already there. We're going to spend uh, pretty much all of our all of our time there. Um, I like to listen to music a lot. Uh, I was listening to. Uh, an old uh, country artist that I like to listen to from time to time, Mr. Uh, Tom T. Hall, he's got a song. Uh, He's got a song called Me and Jesus. And uh, the chorus of that that song goes like this. It says, me and Jesus got a good thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Maybe you you recognize that song. I, I remember listening to that in the car and immediately thinking, whoa, that's, that's an interesting thought right there. Because this song was written back in 1972, and yet I've had conversations with people about that very thing. What does that relationship with Jesus actually look like? Is it just me and Jesus? I, I think he, he, is, he is talking about something that a lot of people uh, within the last couple of years have really been tested on, is what does that look like? Because it's interesting that our time of, of, of quarantine which is still very real for for some people. Um, But our time of quarantine has made us desperate for human interaction, and yet extremely independent in a lot of different ways. And so what do we do do with that? Well, unfortunately, attendance numbers uh, in churches across the nation still haven't recovered since 2019, and it's obvious as to why, right? I mean, there's been a, there's been a health crisis, and I don't, I don't want to diminish that. Please don't misunderstand me. There are, there are legitimate reasons why people can't be here today, but I don't think I'm too far off in saying that some people have used that as an excuse uh, to keep things, just me and Jesus, uh, to, to make sure that nobody tells me what that relationship is supposed to be like, that nobody tells me what it's all about. I think people have used that mentality To really do these mental gymnastics and re-explaining what the church is and re-explaining what fellowship is Well, what I what I hope to do tonight is take a look at Acts chapter 2 Uh, We're going to observe three different things in Acts chapter 2. We're going to observe uh, who it was that was converted. We're going to briefly look at what it was that converted them, this message of conversion. And we're going to spend the majority of our time with the fruits of conversion, what they actually did after having been converted. Because I think what we'll see is that the earliest church definitely did see themselves as Christians who were devoting their life to Jesus. Uh, There is very much this me and Jesus attitude, as in, when they committed their life to Christ, it was to Christ and not to to, to other people. When we are standing on Judgment Day, we are speaking for ourselves, not for anybody else. So in, in one respect, there is very much a me and Jesus attitude. But they also saw themselves, I think we'll see, as members of a larger body. Uh, that shared with one another the Word and the blessings that that come with it. And I hope we'll see that tonight. Again, if you don't already have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at that in some detail tonight. Let's first look at who it was that was converted uh, on that day. Verse 5 talks about these Jerusalem Jews, these devout men from every nation. Uh, They were devout enough men that they had come from a long way. You can look at Acts 2 and look at all the different places that they had come from. They had come from a long way. Why? Well, for a religious purpose. They were there to partake in the Feast of Pentecost. And considering the distances they traveled, it should come as no surprise that they spoke different languages. And this is shown when the apostles were speaking in tongues, when they were speaking in other languages, they step back and think, whoa, how do these guys know this language? I mean, we're we're far away. How do they know the languages that we're speaking? So they they spoke different languages. Um, They knew the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. I mean, this... Should uh, go without saying, considering they are devout men. But Peter quotes from uh, the law in the Psalms. He he, he quotes from the prophets. And they don't seem to be confused by that. They understood uh, these things that he was talking about. And it's clear that they knew Jesus. Now, some of them uh, perhaps just knew who he was. They, uh, you know, rumor had it of, of who this guy from Nazareth was. But it's made pretty clear that some of them knew Jesus very intimately to the point where they were responsible for his death. So what we have here are pretty devout men who came from all over uh, the known world, who who spoke these different languages, who knew the law and the prophets, and they knew who Jesus was. So when Peter gets up to talk, he's got a pretty good uh, group of people that he's speaking to. So let's go ahead and take a look at what it was that he actually said when he was speaking to them. Peter first opens up uh, by kind of explaining these crazy uh, prophetic events that had just transpired, right? He goes back to Joel and he explains that this was supposed to happen and he talks uh, a good amount about that. But then he gets into what he actually wants to talk to or or talk about. He talks about Jesus. Anyone who has been converted to Christ has heard about Jesus. And they haven't actually been converted to Christ if Jesus has not been preached to them. And that's what he does. He, He first lays out... Who Jesus the man was. He talks about uh, the one from Nazareth. He talks about how he was the one who did these miracles, these signs and these wonders. But then he makes a very important point, especially to this audience that he's talking to. He connects connects the fact that this was this, this man from Nazareth who did these miracles, signs and wonders. But he is also the Christ. He's the fulfillment of the promise. He's the fulfillment of Psalm 16, of Psalm 110. He is the one who's above David, the one who did not see decay, the one who is raised from the dead. He makes it very clear that this Jesus is also the Christ. And that's an important thing. And he says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 36, God made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. First thing that we see Peter do is he preaches Christ to them. Again, everyone who has been converted has heard and now believes in Jesus being the Christ, the one who is raised from the dead. But then uh, he convicts them of their sin. It's pretty clear that they are convicted of their sin. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified in verse 36 and then in verse 37 their response was that they were cut to the heart. Now in order for us to be converted to anything we have to be convicted of something. I mean it could be something pretty trivial like uh, your favorite restaurant if you decide to change that somehow You have to be convicted of something right or maybe it's like a favorite I don't know sports team or something like that. Maybe you have a, a, a favorite sports team Let's say I tried to convince what I would believe you all are Alabama fans, and I would try to convince you all to no longer be Alabama fans, but actually to be a University of Georgia fan. Let's say I tried to do that however fruitless that endeavor might be um, one thing I would do, I could, I could point out facts, right? Uh, I could point out stuff like, you know, they're the reigning champs. I could point out stuff like they, you know, they beat Alabama in the national championship. I'm treading dangerous water here, I can tell. Uh, I, I could say, hey, they currently have a better record right now, right? I, I could point out all of those facts, but that's not going to do much, right? I, I didn't convince any one of you to become uh, a Georgia fan, especially because you have a whole lot of facts that you could point my way, but that's a different story. Uh, When we're going to be converted of something, it's not just reality. It's not just facts that swayed us one way or the other, right? It's a personal connection to that something. Peter could have convinced them that this Jesus was the Christ, but that isn't what did it. What did it was, whom you crucified. You killed him. That convicted them. That is what launched them into this big change in their lives. And for us, though we have not killed the Christ and the way that they have, it's extremely important that we see our sins as the whole reason why he was in that situation in the, per- in the first place. The whole reason why this sacrifice was necessary was because of our sins. They were convicted of their sins. And, went, and, and, and beyond that, they knew that that sin ruined their standing with God. They were convinced that they were not right with God. And perhaps out of fear, they asked men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they knew the law, right? We've already stated that. They knew the law, the prophets. They knew that the killing of an innocent man demanded justice. But they didn't just kill some innocent man. They killed the Christ. And so again, perhaps out of fear, they're asking, what do we do? What, how can we escape this? And praise be to God that there was an answer to that. He says, repent. Don't do these things anymore, right? Don't, these things that led you to, to kill an innocent man, change your life, stop walking in that way. And then he says, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Again, praise be to God that there is a solution to the sins in our life. But it's interesting, as you look at that list there, um, points one through four, I don't think people in the Christian community have any issue with. That's really not a problem. But for some reason, when we get to point five, we start to have these different definitions as to what baptism really is. And I want to argue here that anything other than for the forgiveness of sins is simply not biblical. It's simply man-made. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. He says, it was in order that our body of sin might be done away with. And the audience that he's speaking to now, your body of sin that is wrapped up in the sin of killing the Christ, that can be done away with. And what a beautiful thing that is, that is achieved through repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And it says in verse 40 that Peter had more to say, um, but he has now laid out the solution to their problem. And it did not require their life. Perhaps God's greatest display of grace, and in verse forty-one we see their wonderful response to that grace. But our focus tonight, again, isn't necessarily on this. It's on what they did after being converted. Let's take a look at Acts chapter two. I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse forty-two. Acts forty-two, beginning in 40, uh, Excuse me, Acts two, beginning in verse forty-two, uh, through the end of the chapter, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people." And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love that phrase there in verse 42 and that they were continuing steadfastly. They were continuing steadfastly. I think verse 42, Luke is kind of laying out what this large group of people started to do as a group. Here are the four things that they were devoted to. That is, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, in prayer. I want to take a look at those four things uh, this evening. First, uh, they were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. Now, they had just, Peter just got done talking about Jesus being the Christ. Why were they not continuing steadfastly in Jesus' doctrine? Why were they not continuing steadfastly in God's teaching? Well, um, I think there's a pretty simple explanation for that. Matthew 28 talks about Jesus having all authority, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So why aren't we following the authority of Jesus? Well, what did Jesus do with that authority? Uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, when he's speaking uh, uh, privately to the apostles it says that he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures, And he talks about how the scriptures had everything to do with him. That all the law, the Psalms and the prophets had everything to do with Jesus being the Christ. And he unveils that to the apostles. And then back in Matthew 28, what does he do with that authority? Well, he teaches them and then he commands them. He says in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So with that authority, what did Jesus do? He gave it to the apostles. He commanded them, teach them all of the things that I have taught you. So I hope what that does for us, I hope that gives us confidence. I hope that gives us confidence in the fact that the apostles' doctrine, which by the way is this Bible that you have in your hand, the apostles' doctrine is God's doctrine. That the things that we find here and we read here coming from the apostles are things that we can trust, are things that we can follow, things that we can cling to. And I hope that's comforting for us because this is consistent with the rest of the New Testament. Uh, the fact that they were following the apostles' teaching. And the, and the apostles taught everything from who Christ is to, to what the church uh, ought to do and all of these different things in between. So do we have questions about what to do now? Well, of course we do. Resort to the Scriptures. Look back to the Scriptures. Look back at the Apostles' teaching. Do we have questions on marriage, divorce, and remarriage? A a very difficult and emotional topic. Go to the Scriptures to figure out what to do on that. Do we have questions on how to behave in a in a twisted social and and political climate? We'll search the Scriptures. Do you have questions on, on fornication, on homosexuality, on salvation? Search the apostles' doctrines. Search the scriptures for those answers. Now, I'll say there, there seems to be this like collective rolling of the eyes when it comes to doctrine, at least for my generation. Uh, because let's face it; I mean, what doctrine seems to do is it seems to divide people. It seems to cause controversy, and therefore, let's 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 kind of leave those things aside. And 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 to an extent, that's true. Um, But what I'll say is division isn't created by the doctrine division is created by man's interpretation of that Doctrine what I would like to argue is that unity in practice in that what we actually do Unity in practice is impossible if there isn't one thing that unifies us Now that doesn't mean it's easy That doesn't mean we don't have different interpretations of certain things that happen, and we need to discuss those things. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter four when he talks about we are trying to attain the unity of the faith. This is something that we're trying to attain. But if we go anywhere beyond the apostles' doctrine, then we have gone beyond the scriptures, and we have uh, entered into a territory that we cannot have unity, if that's the case. Unity in practice, in what we actually do, is impossible if there isn't this one thing that unifies us. And the thing that unifies us, first and foremost, is the blood of Christ. But what we actually do after that comes through the apostles' doctrine. I hope that I hope that makes sense. And they were committed to it. They were continuing steadfastly in that. That also says that they were continuing steadfastly in fellowship. Um, before I make my own comments on what fellowship is, I want to take a look at some New Testament passages. It gives us like eight different ways that fellowship is used. And the first three shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. We have, because we are now followers of Christ, we have this fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we were to take the time to look at these passages, we would see that that fellowship implies a, a, a deep Connection, a deep relationship, this strong connection that's created through the death of Christ we now have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And though it would be a worthwhile study to take a look at those and to really see what that means for us and the blessings that come with that, uh, we're not going to do that this evening. But one thing that does come out of that relationship that we now have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we now have a deeper connection and fellowship with one another. 1 John chapter one and verse seven says, "But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have all been cleansed with the blood of Christ, and therefore we have this fellowship with one another. If you look at the beginning there, if we walk in the light, I think that's a, a nice reference back to the apostle's doctrine. What has been revealed to us? If we walk in that, we have this fellowship." with one another. Philippians 2, Paul talks about, uh, he says that the fellowship of the Spirit resulted in being of the same mind. That we can all be of the same mind because of our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And what a blessing that is, that we have this deep spiritual connection through the blood of Christ. But what we also see is that what we share in spiritually, we also share in uh, physically. There are four other ways of more of this physical fellowship that we have with one another. Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5 this fellowship in the gospel. It says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That word participation is the same Greek word for fellowship. That we have this fellowship in the gospel. Not only in the fact that we each believe it and we submit to it, but we are participating in it, in following it, and in spreading it to others. That's the fellowship we have with one another. Uh, Bob is telling me about uh, y'all setting up uh, booths out there, handing out free Bibles. That's fellowship with one another. That you are fellowshipping in the gospel in this. That is an aspect of fellowship. Another aspect of fellowship is in suffering. Philippians 3 and verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. Paul set aside worldly thing so that he might in part have fellowship with Christ through his suffering I gotta think that when the apostles were put in prison when they were beaten when they were suffering it was made a little bit more bearable because they knew they were doing the same thing that Christ was doing remember they considered it a blessing to suffer right but I gotta also think that they were able to look to their left and to the right They were able to see other Christians suffering in the same way that they were. And for the same reason that they were. For their fellowship in the gospel, they were suffering says that they also had fellowship in, in finances. We talked about that uh, earlier today. Romans 15 and verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Again, that word contribution there is the same word as fellowship. Second Corinthians chapter eight, begging us, the Macedonian Christians were, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. That word participation, same word as fellowship. There is this fellowship that we have when we are giving to one another uh, through our means, whether it's through goods or whether it's directly through money. We are fellowshipping with one another when we participate in that. And didn't we just read about that too in Acts chapter 2? That's exactly what they were doing. So it's my belief that, again, you have people who are coming from uh, all over uh, the the world at that point, coming into Jerusalem. i got to think that some of those Christians, when they came to Jerusalem and they became followers of Christ, they didn't go back home. So what were they supposed to do? Where were they supposed to live? Did they have anything with them? Very limited resources, if any at all. What Christians did was they took care of them. Those who had gave to those who had not. And it didn't seem like a burden to them. It seemed like something they were welcoming, something that they were glad, or gladly participating. And there's a fellowship that we have when we are willing to help one another out, not only in the support of the gospel, but just in, in everyday living. And you see that uh, in the early Christians. Finally, you also see this fellowship in time together. And perhaps this is what we think of the most when we think of this fellowship. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 uh, kind of puts it in, in, in the negative perspective. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Some versions say do not be unequally yoked. Uh, with unbelievers, I like that, that version. For what, uh, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? So if we are not supposed to be yoked with unbelievers, meaning uh, with them constantly, day by day, bound together with them, uh, then we should be yoked with believers. Believers. And I love that imagery of a yoke, because you put two oxen underneath the yoke, where one goes, the other goes too. Or what I should say is where the stronger one goes, the other goes too. Uh, The more strong-willed one, the more deliberate one goes, the other one's gonna go too. You You see how fellowship is an influential thing. If we are not being influenced by and also influencing one another, we are not fellowshipping truly with one another. What you see in fellowship is that there is this strong impact being built on the relationship with Christ. Our conversations should have substance, our actions uh, should have purpose. And there was a clear spiritual purpose for the early Christians here in Acts 2 uh, in their fellowship with one another, both spiritually but also through their physical manifestations of it. And the earliest church was devoted to this new connection that they had with the Father, Holy Spirit, uh, with the Son, and with one another. But they also showed it through their giving, uh, spreading of the gospel, through their suffering, their finances, and their time spent together. You see that there is no me and Jesus attitude with the earliest church. They are very much a part of a group acting and integrating within them. Uh, the third thing that we see them participating in is uh, the breaking of bread. Though some disagree, uh, most w- would agree that this breaking of bread uh, in verse 42 is referring, to, uh, is referring to the Lord's Supper. But if you notice, when we read it earlier, it's actually mentioned twice, right? Verse 42 mentions the breaking of bread, and then verse 46 also mentions breaking of bread. Uh, and I-, I do want to defend that point for just... Just a minute. I mentioned earlier that verse 42 uh, indicates kind of what what the church as a whole was doing. They were continuing steadfastly in these four things. And then verses 43 through 47 kind of indicate what they were doing individually. Um, But there's also a distinction between verse 42 and verse 46. Um, Bob mentioned earlier that I used to be a school teacher. I taught English, so if you'll bear with me for just a minute, I do want to get into the English here, or rather the, the, the Greek to some degree. Uh, there is a definite article mentioned, and there might be some pretty negative flashbacks for some of you in thinking of definite articles, but a definite article indicates something very specific. The Breaking of bread. That's in the English, but that it's interpreted from the Greek. The Greek also mentions that definite article the Breaking of bread. Do you think of it? Uh, I, I have unfortunately uh, Some some friends who are Ohio State fans and they always say the Ohio State, right? They always have to indicate that this is the one and the only one the most important one, right? Um, well, the, the breaking of bread is indicating something very specific It is indicating a different breaking of bread that is not mentioned in verse 46. Verse 46 does not have that definite article. Plus, it's in the context of things that they were generally doing day to day, house to house, and it's also paired with this typical eating of of, of food. I I will admit, it's, it's unfortunate that the phrases are practically identical. And so I understand why people might be a little confused where they might use verse 46 to interpret verse 42 and say that this is just something that they generally did. Uh, But I think the context pretty definitively uh, argues otherwise. Um, And also, as was mentioned uh, at the table uh, er, er, uh, earlier this evening, uh, we see other examples of them breaking bread in both contexts. Uh, But certainly Acts 20 and verse 7 implies this worship service that was being done on a weekly basis. 1 Corinthians 11 seems to indicate that this breaking of bread was something that they did often, even though sometimes not very well or with the right mindset. But they did it, right? This was a a regular practice of the early church. Now, it is important to indicate the apostles' teaching, to uh, at least in this case indicate the apostles' pattern of what they did. But that's not the whole of what I want to say about uh, the Lord's Supper here. Because not only was the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, uh, a part of the apostles' teaching, this was perhaps, um, this was perhaps the, the truest form of fellowship that they could participate in. Because greater than that of time, greater than that of money, this breaking of bread, as instructed by Jesus, was in memory of his sacrifice the whole basis of our fellowship with one another. So what the Lord's Supper is for us, it is a symbol of this great fellowship that we have, but it also is a physical manifestation of it. It promotes it because if we're going to take the Lord's Supper, we have to come together to do that. The Lord's Supper is such an important aspect of our worship. It is the reason why we get together, so that we can spend time together focusing on the blood of Christ that bonds every single one of us. From the beginning, the earliest church remembered Jesus' death uh, through the Lord's Supper, just like how the, the Israelites were instructed with Pretty much every single feast and, and, and throughout the book of Deuteronomy all you see is Remember when I delivered you from Egypt. They were constantly instructed to remember that We are constantly instructed to remember our deliverance from death through the death of our Savior. And The last thing that we see they were devoted to uh, was prayer. Uh, the earliest church devoted themselves to prayer yet another act of fellowship with God and with, with one another Uh, Following in the footsteps of Jesus, the apostles were certainly devoted to it, and we see the early church participating in that as well. And like I mentioned before, uh, Luke is kind of just laying out, generally speaking, what they were doing. We don't get uh, insight specifically right here in chapter 2 as to what they were saying in these prayers, what type of prayers they were offering, but they were devoted to it. But when you read through the book of Acts, prayer is actually mentioned more in in, in Acts than in any other book uh, in the New Testament. You see examples of prayer uh, in Uh, decision-making. Right right off the bat, what you see is the apostle trying to replace Judas, and they pray about that in selecting Matthias. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 31, they're praying for courage when they're in prison. I love that, by the way, just as an aside. Uh, They were in prison because of persecution. They didn't pray for persecution to stop. Actually, they prayed for just more boldness and more... Courage, may that be a lesson to us. Uh, hardship is actually a pretty good thing. Uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 6, they're selecting servants. There were these uh, uh, Grecian widows who were not being taken care of as they should have. And so they prayed about selecting men to take care of them. Uh, they prayed about when Peter was in prison. Uh, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. And there's so many other examples. And there's many other examples in the epistles as well. But I want to say we, we practice this fellowship. Uh, through prayer, when as a church we devote ourselves to prayer, there's there's a couple different things there. One is imagine if every single person in this room was devoted on a personal level to prayer. Every single person in this room was constantly praying on their own time, saying their own prayers to God. Well, when we got together, we would be a group that is now uh, all the more connected to God because we have built on that connection through prayer. But take it a step further. Think if we as a group, as, as individuals who pray, also got together to pray with one another. What we're doing in that act is not only developing our fellowship that we have with God and strengthening that, but we are strengthening our fellowship with one another. We need to get together to pray and get together to pray for for some of the same things that we see throughout the book of Acts. Now, in verse 47, we see God's uh, stamp of approval in this and that... uh, that uh, n- uh, the number daily was, uh, members were being added uh, daily to this number and they were being saved. Um, but I wanna, I wanna pause here as we wrap up. Uh, to the members of this congregation, I, um, obviously I've only been here one Sunday. Uh, I, I don't know you all too well, but I will say your reputation uh, precedes you. Um, I hope that this lesson has encouraged you. I hope this lesson gives you confidence that as I can tell, you are following this Biblical pattern. This pattern that the earliest church was following as well. While, other, uh, while, while there are many distractions in this world, distractions that many other churches get wrapped up in, that this church seems to be one that, it, that has their sights set on the Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, are there areas in which this church needs to improve? I would imagine so. And you know what? We need to be critical of ourselves. We need to have an open eye for searching for for, for room for improvement so long as that is done within the Apostles' Doctrine and continuing to be devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now for those who are not members of of this congregation, or or any congregation, um, I hope you see the need to be a part of a church. And maybe for those of you who are members of this congregation, but um, really haven't taken the effort to integrate yourself within and really be a part of it, I, I hope you see just how important that is. To be a part of one another. That you can constantly tell yourself that, yeah, I have a good relationship. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. But, but, but you have to have brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to encourage you. We can't have that me and Jesus attitude. I hope that you will become a member, an integral member of a congregation, specifically one that follows uh, this pattern. But, but to everyone, uh, I hope this sermon uh, has encouraged us and convicted us um, to, to, to study the apostles' doctrine more. A doctrine is an important thing. Uh, and it can sometimes be taken for granted because we practice things and we really don't know why. I was, uh, I w- I was studying with, with somebody, a visitor, who came by uh, our church back in Embry Hills, and he checked a little box on the visitor's card saying that he wanted to have a Bible study. And so I called him up and we started studying together. And he, he, he was almost in tears because he said, "If some- I'm scared, if someone were to ask me, why am I a Christian, I would have no idea what to tell them. I hope, that, I hope that's not you. I hope that you know very well why you are a Christian. But even beyond that, I hope you know very well why we have done some of the strange things that we have done tonight. That we have taken just a little cup uh, of grape juice and of bread, and we're claiming that it's, it's the body of Jesus, and it's the blood. I hope you understand why you're doing that. And, under, and studying God's doctrine uh, can help us understand that. And that will strengthen us, but it will also help us Defend ourselves in the way that uh, Peter uh, talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 3, that we are, we are giving a defense when we are challenged. And I hope this lesson encourages you to do that. And I hope this lesson encourages us to, to fellowship more and not, and not just hang out. Um, while there is value in getting together early mornings and, I don't know, playing basketball if you like to do that kind of thing, um, or getting together for game nights or having potlucks and stuff like that, there's a lot of value to that. But if our time built around spiritual things doesn't outweigh the time spent uh, 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 around physical things, around non-spiritual things, that's that's a problem. There needs to be, it doesn't need to be balanced. It needs to far, our our spiritual things need to far outweigh the other. That's what fellowship is truly centered around uh, based on what we've seen uh, tonight. I hope this lesson encourages you to value the communion more, our Lord's Supper, because it's not only just a part of the Apostles' Doctrine, it is a necessity for us to constantly think about the blood of Jesus and what that accomplishes in us and the bond that we have with one another because of it. And I hope this encourages us to to pray more. Not just individually, that's a good thing, but to pray as a congregation more because the benefit is not just between us and God, but it can be between us and each other. I hope you've been been encouraged. If you're not a a Christian, um, we have a, a, a tradition to offer an invitation. I think a good tradition to offer an invitation for those to become a Christian. Um, Again, facts aren't gonna convict you, necessarily. uh, Facts aren't going to make you follow Jesus. People can say that they have logically come to some conclusion, and and to an extent, that's a very important thing, but there is an emotional appeal. There is something there that needs to convict you of your sins. If you have been convicted of your sins tonight, like the audience in Acts 2, I hope you see that God has given you a way out. If those people who killed the Christ were not held accountable in that very moment for their deed. You have an opportunity too to come to Christ, uh, to, to have your sins washed away if you believe in Him, if you repent, if you're baptized, and you commit your life to Him, but perhaps you have just gone away from that. You really haven't been a part of this body, perhaps, as you feel like you should. You haven't devoted your life to God. God is patient. God is patient with us. God has sustained this earth, which. What maybe even, is even more impressive than, than the fact that God created the earth, the fact that He keeps it going. Why? So that we can come to Him. If you need any of this invitation, I, I pray that you'll come forward now while we stand and while we sing. God